Good morning. I don't know if you know Jeff and Jordan, but they had a baby. And they're right back there with their baby. I'm guessing you brought the baby. I mean, I just figured a few weeks old. And yes, they brought the baby. I'm just excited. Some of you are like, is that in your notes? No. All right. We're going to get busy this morning. For some of you who are like, how long is this guy going to speak? This week, you can follow along. Okay, so uh, we have a lot of scripture this week. So you can, this is in order. So you can kind of like check it off as you go along. You're like, man, he's got that many more verses to go. Yes, there you go. We uh, have been using this as our guide the past few weeks. Uh, this diagram around transformation. And we have talked about truth. We have talked about community. And this week and next week, though it cannot simply be contained in two weeks, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, at some point, we probably need about 30 weeks in a row to talk around the Holy Spirit. But we're going to do some things. But it's not just one of these things in isolation. It is all of these working together. Today I'm going to, as you have seen, go through a lot of Scripture. What I'm trying to do today is lay a foundational teaching and a foundational thing about the Holy Spirit. Because of this, in his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan wrote this. If you or I had never been to a church and had read only the Old and New Testaments, we would have significant expectation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we read and believe these accounts, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. He would not be a mostly forgotten member of the Godhead, whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition to, which is what he has become in many churches. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different from our old life without him. My first introduction to the Holy Spirit uh, as a child, I learned him as a, he had a different name when I was a kid. Um, in my Christian elementary school, we only used the King James Bible, and I memorized verses from the King James Bible, and in the King James Bible, he was known as the Holy Ghost. This concept was incredibly confusing to me as a kid, so I kind of pictured him as this, as Casper, the friendly ghost. If you're under my age, you might go, who is that? You are missing out on some amazing cartoons. I really did. But to be honest, I don't really remember talking about him too much. And what I did hear about him, what I learned about the Holy Ghost slash Spirit, was he was the one who convicted you when you did something bad, or he made sure you got caught when you did something bad. So as a young child, I saw him definitely against me. Somehow my mom had tapped into him in regards to those areas. And I definitely did not see that he was for me. There are a community of believers today and for a long time where their fo focus is on God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. I've experienced a lot of these communities to be so strong in theology, doctrine, knowledge of the scripture, amazing biblical teaching. 
but there's really little about the third part of the Trinity. And often in these communities, the reasons and the reasoning of humans often trumps transformed humans. So there's a lot of humans depending on their reason in these communities of belief. It's not that they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They just want to make sure they contain him within the pages of the Bible. They want to make sure he's predictable, maybe. Then there's other communities of believers where I've been uh, a part of, not necessarily like working, but like engaging with, where the overwhelming focus is on the activity and visibility and works of the Spirit. They're seeing amazing acts of healing and deliverance and renewal. But I've also experienced a lot of these kinds of gatherings and people to be unhinged from theology and doctrine and scripture. Sometimes their uh, sermons are more, they use the Bible more as like a pep talk or a coaching session. And there's an emotional roller coaster of experience and belief and I've met many who were incredibly disappointed by how they anticipated God to work, and he didn't. But as we see when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he says it's meant to be about spirit and truth. So what I wonder, and some of you I know, because you've told me, are very concerned about today. But what I wonder is can you be about both? Is it possible to embrace Bible as truth, have a deep, rich, rich theology, and live an active, spirit-led life that is filled with the wonders and works of the Spirit? Hold your responses. <laughs> but I appreciate your interaction, as always. Today I'm going to walk through Scripture, a lot of Scripture. Some of you are like, where are we, church? Yes. There will be slides on the screen, and even though the person running the slides has my notes and is ready because we went through them all, I may be going a little fast. So don't just look, look at the piece of paper in front of you. And as I say throughout the biblical literacy course, which is one of the reasons we've asked you all to take it, one of the questions we ask is, where am I in the story? So today, today I'm going to tell you the story. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for your help. I know that you hold me accountable. Your word says that those who teach will be judged with stricter. So I take that very, very serious. And, Holy Spirit, I am counting on you today. I am counting on you to interpret, to say the things that you want me to say. Help us, God. In your name. Amen. What better place to start in telling the story of God than page one? You're going to be like, how long is this going to take? Don't worry too much. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Page one of scripture. He's right there. The spirit is right there hovering. The ancient Hebrew word for this for hovering is the image of like a mother eagle protecting and overseeing. 
This imagery of a bird is why so often we also think of the Holy Spirit as a dove or bird. That was reference was long before Jesus' baptism came into place, overseeing all the things. What's important to know is this, as we enter into this, is that the Old Testament was an age that was known as visitation by the Spirit. The Spirit shows up at different times throughout the Old Testament, which is why we ask ourselves throughout the biblical religious course, where am I in the story? Then he seems to pull back into the background. He visits prophets and judges and priests and kings. And because he comes and then he pulls back is probably the very reason during his repentance, David in Psalm 51 writes this, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Because he knew that the Holy Spirit seems to be pressing in and pulling back. He also probably saw his predecessor Saul when the Holy Spirit was pulled from him, how miserable and how decrepit and how hard his heart became that David longed for more than just a visit. He longed for habitation. As we go through the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament saw something coming. There was going to come an age and a time when the Spirit would live in the people of God. The prophets saw a new age of the Spirit would be ushered in by the Spirit-anointed one. The Spirit-anointed one. Another way we say this in Hebrew is Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. It's King. The Spirit-anointed one. Here's one of the verses as we unfold with some of the prophets would have said thousands of years ago about the Holy Spirit. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesse is King David's father. Basically, Isaiah is saying that the story of David gets a reboot. There's another king coming. There's one who's going to be anointed by the Spirit. Another one from the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, remember that word, whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nation. Isaiah introduces a new prophetic title. It's not just king. But it's servant. He will be a king and a servant anointed by the Spirit. Here's the point. He will bring in a new era where the Spirit will be lavishly poured out. There's coming a time, the prophet started saying, where the Spirit is not just one who comes and leaves, but will be poured out. Poured out on all flesh, all ages, all the genders, ethnicities. Look at what the prophet Joel says. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So long before Jesus came, the prophets are saying there will be a new reality there will be a renewal of your heart because that was the issue they faced. When the Israelites were freed from Egypt, 
It was their hardness of their heart that continued to get them in trouble. It's the hardness of our hearts that continues to push us away. The prophets are saying there's coming a time when it will be softened. Ezekiel picks this up in Ezekiel 36. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, people could not fulfill the law on their own. We all fall short as well, do we not? But it's coming. It's coming. And you will know me. So the cry of the prophets in the Old Testament was this. A day is coming. You will be able to follow me. You'll be able to love me. You'll be able to know me because your heart will be softened. It's not that your mind is now smarter. It's not that you've figured it out on your own. But there'll be a softening of your heart. At the end of the Old Testament prophets, they waited for the anointed ones. Let me show you where this is at in Scripture. At the end of the Old Testament, in my Bible... There's a page. Hold on, let me find it because it's not in the... There's a page. The Old Testament has ended and it says New Testament. Right here. This page right here is 400 years. And you're like, but there's nothing there. Exactly. It's 400 years of silence. From the last words of the prophet Malachi to the opening of the New Testament, there's silence. 400 years. They longed for something. When you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it begins with a spirit and a prophet preparing two things, a way for the Lord and a womb for the Lord. The very last verse of Malachi, God says he will send someone with the spirit of Elijah and they'll go after the sons and daughters. The New Testament opens with Zechariah in Luke 1. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They're getting older. They can't have children. They're giving up hope. And they're visited by an angel. The angel says, you're going to have a son. His name will be John. Now listen to how the spirit starts to break in. And... I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Luke 1.15. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How awesome is that? Habitation is starting to break through. Then an angel visits Mary. This is where things just get amazing. You're like, it's not Christmas yet. Hang in there. Mary is absolutely amazing. Sometimes over the years, because of the elevation of Mary by some religious people, some people swing the other way. I am not saying you should pray to Mary. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is Mary 
is amazing. Did you hear me say what I didn't say? The angel says to her things like, you will conceive and give birth to a son. He'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. His kingdom never ends. Mary's response, how? Oh, come on. This is an obvious question, right, if you're a virgin. If you've never had relations with a man, you've never had sex with a man, how, you know how things work in general. She's a very young woman at this time. More to come on that as we enter into Advent season. But she knew enough to know that things don't just happen. Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit. Luke 135, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Another word for this is hover over you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you hear the creation language that started at the beginning? God says, the Holy Spirit's going to hover over you, Mary. He's going to overshadow over you to protect like a mother eagle. Then Mary famously says in her acceptance of this reality... I am the Lord's servant. Remember the title from Isaiah about Jesus. And what Philippians tells us is that he laid aside all of his things. It says this, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Mary's the same way. Though she did not have to let go of any deity because she was not deity, but she said, Will you have this child? Yes, I'm your servant. Matthew's account of this very interaction about God and the Holy Spirit and Mary, it was very different. Matthew's a little more to the point. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. He's just like, this is just what happened. Stay with me. Please. Jesus is conceived by a supernatural action. He is not just filled by the Spirit or anointed by the Spirit. Here it is. The way Jesus came into this world as a human was by the Spirit. When we think of Jesus and God the Father, we often think this. The Father sent his Son, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his Son. Beautiful. When we think about Jesus, we think Jesus emptied himself with all humility becoming human. These are both so, so true, so amazing, so powerful. And we forget number three. And the, this divine work of God becoming flesh is the specific work of the Holy Spirit. God sent the Son, Jesus emptied himself, the Holy Spirit makes it happen in the womb of Mary. From his book, God Inside Out, Simon Ponsonby writes this, it is the Holy Spirit as the immediate divine executive, the agent of God's will who weds the eternal Son with mortal humanity. The creative spirit who hovered over creation overshadows Mary. Creating, conceiving, and connecting God and blood, making out of Mary's matter was not what was not before. 
The Spirit forms a regenerative or a recreative work, not merely a creative work. The new human life born of Mary is the old humanity from Adam's seed, which is joined to the eternal divinity of the Son by the action of the Spirit. The Spirit is fusing two things together. Jesus, I will be a servant by emptying myself. Mary, I will be a servant and do what God has asked me to do. The Holy Spirit brings together two servants to make the God-man fully human, fully God, coming to take on the sins of the world. This is huge. It is not just lost on an Advent story. When the Holy Spirit is given to God's people, his actions remain the same as it does then. What the Holy Spirit does is regenerative work in us, transformative work in us. He makes things that are dead come to life. He makes things that seem impossible, possible. He brings healing to our innermost spaces. This is who he is. This is what he does. So Jesus empties himself, became fully human, and lived a life that was fully dependent on the Spirit. Jesus was prophesied about, born of the Spirit. And then Jesus gets baptized by a guy named John, the same John who's had the Holy Spirit in him since he was in his mother's womb. And all these people gathered around, and John says this in Luke chapter 3. Jesus answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Meaning this. John's like, I will baptize you with water. I'll fully immerse you. I will continue this thing that has been happening with the Jewish uh, traditions that you do every year to cleanse themselves. But now it's once and done for the forgiveness of your sins to declare what Jesus has done. It's an outward expression of the inward change. We know that. But what Jesus is baptizing you with, with the Holy Spirit, is the internal change. It's no longer a representation. He's like, I'm pulling you all the way into the Spirit. Something pretty amazing happens when Jesus gets baptized. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. I don't know if it was literally a dove. It was like a pigeon that came down and sat on him. It was like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased. There was a voice of identity, of intimacy. That's also what the Holy Spirit does, is calls you what you are now. Taps into that deep intimacy with God. The disciple John writes, the, John, the disciple John writes about John the baptizer's testimony. He says this. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have, and I testify that this is God's 
chosen one. Remember, the Old Testament is this age of visitation of the Spirit, but now the age of the habitation of the Spirit is breaking in, meaning this, the Spirit is sticking around. The Spirit is setting up his home. Right after the wilderness, what happens? Jesus gets driven into the wilderness. Who drove or sent Jesus into the wilderness? Any guesses? The Spirit. In case you're wondering, the answer is probably going to be the Spirit for every one of my questions. Here they are, Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark 1.12. At once the Spirit sent, so the Greek word is drove him out into the wilderness. Here's the point. Jesus gets pulled, led, pushed out to the wilderness, not so the Holy Spirit will tempt him, but for him to be tempted. In the wilderness, Jesus fasts for 40 days. We know this. Why did he fast for 40 days? Well, Jesus already gave up all that he had to come to earth in form of a servant. He already gave up deity. Now through fasting, he was emptying himself of his human strength as well. We'll talk about fasting in a, little, in a few weeks. So now he has nothing, and he has to be totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. You're like, wait, Jesus is God. Yes, fully man, fully God. And at the time in the wilderness, fully, physically dependent on the Spirit. Every single temptation that the enemy had for him, and you can follow along and look this up. The challenge is this. Will Jesus pick up that divine power that he once had and prove Satan wrong, or will he rely on the Spirit? This is the Garden of Eden 2.0, where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds because of his reliance on the Spirit. He does not pick up the power. The Spirit is not grieved. The Spirit is not suppressed. And now the Spirit is about to be unleashed. After the wilderness, Luke writes this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of of the Spirit. Things are all firing together now. Jesus fully stepping into the power of the Spirit. The question you may have is, what does this look like? What does the ministry and the power of the Spirit look like? The way of the gospel writers wrote this. They said, it's the kingdom of God breaks in. What does this mean? We don't really understand kingdom. We don't live in a kingdom. We don't live in the United Kingdom or monarchy. It kind of means this, the rule of God starts to break through. Rightly orders justice. Rightly orders the oppressed and the oppressors. He rightly orders the sick. And the Holy Spirit does a very, very, very cool thing at this point. We read these verses last week. And I had you look at them through the lens of uh, maybe Jesus' message. But I want you to look at these verses through the lens of the Spirit now. From creation through the prophets, and now it's breaking in. As Jesus always did, as was his habit, he went to the, on Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. Listen to these verses with the lens of what the Spirit had, was from the beginning and is now breaking through. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord 
is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant. Like a mic drop. Like a scroll drop. Under what that, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Birth, baptism, temptation, led by the Spirit. And then he goes, this verse is me. What is he saying? Everything you're about to see me do for the next three years, it's all the power of the Spirit. Wait, I thought it was the power of Jesus. Yes, by the Spirit. When I proclaim the good news to the poor, when I feel the, free the oppressed, the broken, the marginalized, when I heal the sick, everything I'm about to do is through the power of the Spirit. One more from Simeon Ponsonby. The Holy Spirit orchestrates the event where the Spirit-inspired Scripture is brought to the Spirit-filled Jesus who reads the Spirit-filled ministry ushering the eschatological age of the Spirit. This is crazy. In case you've tuned me out, let me review. The Holy Spirit hovers and protects from the very beginning of creation. The Holy Spirit visits and reveals. The Holy Spirit orchestrates the conception of Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows up at his baptism, shows his identity and his intimacy with his Father. The Holy Spirit is in the wilderness giving Jesus all that he needed. And the Holy Spirit is in all the workings of Jesus. So here's my question for you, and it is not a trick question. Would you rather have Jesus in the flesh with you or the Holy Spirit within you? Which would you choose? It's tough. Most of us, if not all of us, and I get it, would say, I want Jesus physically with me. This makes total sense. You may be like, I, I want to text Jesus. How cool would that be? I want to go to a ball game with Jesus. How cool would that be? I probably would behave a little better. I want Jesus next to me when I'm taking a test. How amazing would that be? No, Jesus is not a big fat cheater. It's probably because we're fixated on that which is material, right? What we can see, what we can feel, what we can taste, that's what we want. What I can explain, that's what I want. But that's also why transforming our, our character development is so hard. Because we base how things are going by the things that we see and feel. That's why we have crisis of faith when our car breaks down, because it's what we see and feel. No doubt, it's frustrating. But to elevate it to that point tells us how much we want the, the material. But here's the thing. What would Jesus choose? I really believe Jesus has said, it's better to have the Spirit. How do I know that? Because he said it. John 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. It makes sense his disciples were filled with grief. We'd be filled with grief. We saw that without, they saw life without Jesus. And now they're at a huge disadvantage. Wait, who's going to heal the sick? Who's going to cast out these demons? Who's going to preach the gospel? Who's going to do the work of the Father who sent him? We all would feel that. 
Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is better, and this is mind-blowing, but it is better that the Holy Spirit is in you than that I am physically with you. Are you with me? Jesus came to save. Jesus came to bring life. But Jesus only also fully knew that as he was going through the cross, resurrection was coming. And the end result of all of that was that the Holy Spirit was not just going to be in him, but in who? Come on. Us. He didn't just say, I can't wait to raise from the dead for my, for my people to be saved. Yes, true. Absolute truth. To be intimate with God. And Jesus is also knowing, like, I know what it's like to be led by the Spirit. And it is invigorating and fascinating and empowering. And I can't wait for that access to happen in those who follow me. Jesus dies. Any guesses who raises him from the dead? I'm just throwing it out there in case you're wondering. There we go. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And we forget about him all the time. You're like, Dale, you get a little excited. Yeah, I am. This is what a 56-year-old guy who can barely move looks like when he's excited. There's more. We'll see if I get through the second service. Some of you might want to come to the second service just to see when Dale just collapses at some point. After Jesus' resurrection, there's this beautiful moment, and I promise I'm almost done. But to understand this, we have to go back to creation real quick. We're told this in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living Christian. A living Christian. That'd be a trip. A living creature. Check my theology, I guess. <laughs> Hebrew. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach. It means spirit, breath. It's used all the time. It's using the ruach of God hovered. It's breath. Jesus appears before his disciples. John 20, 22, And with that he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus says, wait here. You'll see, in a few, you'll see in a short amount of time what this looks like. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. So what is this all about? God, through his spirit, lives in us, transforms us. If we allow it to be unleashed by not suppressing it, by following, Jesus and Mary give the example of like servant, which is like an open-handedness. The same thing that Jesus experienced at his baptism, declaration of his identity and intimacy. This is what the Spirit wants to do with you. You are the Father's child. You are love. I've told some of this before, 
through some of the hardest times being a dad. Some of the hardest times being a parent. I mean, there's, there's so many things, right? But one of the hardest times I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me now. Is when you know your child is struggling, right? And uh, I would drop Anna off at school as a 14-year-old freshman at a new school. and wasn't her favorite place. I wasn't her favorite person. She's 14. I'm not. Things happen. But what I would say to her was she would get out of the car. Same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. It's in you. It's in you. And of course, she's 14. So she's like, yeah, yeah, dad, get up, go. My friends might see you, you know. And I'm like, okay. Then as I would sit in my office, Holy Spirit's in me. The Holy Spirit's in her. I'm not just praying like, God, keep the bad people away. I am engaging with spirit to spirit. And that's the opportunity we have, is engaging spirit to spirit. The same Holy Spirit. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be overwhelmed. So I fought for her with the Spirit. As a church, what do I long for? I long for a space that's led by the Spirit. Some of you are like, what does that mean? It means that we do ministry to each other. That there's a strong ministry culture with each other, spirit to spirit. I appreciate many of the things that you think about me, mostly. Some of you are like, well, the pastor, this is what the pastor does, and we just get to come and listen. No, 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 no. The same Holy Spirit that's in me, you know who else it's in? You. There's something about the presence of the Spirit that when you come to church, you're like, Holy Spirit, who you wanted me to minister to today? May me not have an attitude of taking, but an attitude of giving. That I can come alongside and engage with other people because they too have the Spirit in them or they desperately need the Spirit. If necessary, hear me. I empower you by the authority that God has given me as your pastor to pray with and for each other in the spirit with each other, to express words of truth and blessing and accountability to each other in the spirit, to say to yourself, I have the Holy Spirit within me. Who do you want me to minister today, God? Some of you instantly go to all the crazy things you've seen. I am not talking about that. I am talking about the real day-to-day spirit movement. We'll do more next week. Father, I pray you help us. In these moments of just quietness, Holy Spirit, I know you do your work. I would say to sit open-handed before the Holy Spirit and say, have your way in me. The spirit that was above creation, the spirit that filled Jesus and empowered Jesus, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, 